The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Acts, as far as I know. However, uh, if you just by way of review, or yeah, go ahead and turn. Let's turn to Acts. Um, I think we're going to begin uh, chapter 22. So, been sharing concerning baptism. Um, well, we did this last week as well. Um, how many of you, upon your Christian upbringing, now that you could have been an adult, and I'm talking about in your initial Christian formation, whenever that was, right? Maybe you were an adult when you became a believer. Maybe, maybe you were born into it. You know, whatever. I'm just, whenever that was for you. How many of you in your early developmental Christian formation, uh, if you would, by way of showing of hands, how many of you were taught that water baptism was more, whatever it was, it was at least more than a symbol. It was required, it was salvific, it, it did something at the least in your salvation. How many hands? Last week it, it was, seemed like most hands. Today I would say it looks about half-ish. Okay, thank you. Right, right. Which I'm planning to get to. Right. Which I am planning to hopefully spend a little time on that one day. Um, in, you know, the New Testament compares what, what Old Covenant circumcision was. The New Testament tells us Baptism is, in other words, circumcision was the type and shadow. And Paul is very clear all through many epistles, baptism's the fulfillment of that, right? And so, which is part of why I'm actually, I am, and I'm not suggesting anyone else needs to be, I am perfectly fine with uh, infant, child, pedo, there's different words for it, baptism. Um, more on that to come. Um, a lot of us as Protestants, some within the Reformed tradition generally are, maybe some other Episcopalian and high, high churches, but out of the smorgasbord that is Protestantism, um, very often that's not the case. But just to be clear, it is uh, the extreme, extreme, 99.9999999% of believers uh, through the 2,000 years of all of church history um, Baptism has always been considered part and parcel to the born-again initiation into Christianity, church, born-again, regenerate, forgiven, etc. And so, that that's... Even today, if you boil it down to denominationalism, Catholic and Orthodox are the two largest groups uh, by far, and um, those two churches, the historic apostolic churches, some might call it, um, would believe in uh, baptismal regeneration, or, or there's different ways to call it. Anyways, so baptism for me, um, like Holy Communion, I have come to repent or change my mind on some of these things. Uh, last week I mentioned, and this could be difficult until we develop it and uh, some, some more of this, um, there are scriptures that, what'd you say, what'd Bill Johnson say, Orla, about scriptures need to what? Make you growl or poke you? What was it? I don't know what it was. 
That's it. Yeah, yeah. Not that make me. If a scripture makes me growl, you probably probably got a demon or something. I don't know. But, you know, maybe not. <laughs> but um, yeah, that growl at you, that rub you the wrong way, right? So, because none of us have perfectly accurate theology, but as Bill Johnson also says, one thing I do know: Jesus is perfect theology. So if it looks like Him, then that looks like God, and that is truth, and I can dig it. I may not always be able to fill in all the gaps in, in answering every question. Now, by quick review, very quickly, Acts 22. Just want to look at these few scriptures here. If you guys remember last week, Matthew 28, don't turn there. What was Jesus? Like, you know, if this was the last board meeting and then you're, you're hitting the road and you're out of there, what you got to say might be important. What's he tell them? All authority is mine. I'm bestowing it upon you, my people, the church. Go forth preach the gospel, the good news to, to all creation, uh, this, making disciples of them. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So for my background, uh, baptism, it was only for believers. You couldn't baptize a kid because um, I don't know what would happen, but apparently it wasn't good. But it was, you know, believers' baptism. Um, and it was wonderful, it was precious, it was to be celebrated and esteemed, but it was purely, 100%, only a symbol. From my background, I'm saying, right? So you're commanded to do it, you're supposed to do it, you should do it, you should want to do it, but it doesn't do anything. Kind of like communion, from my background, I'm saying that it's purely symbolic, all right? Um, I have repented on, on these, in these areas to a degree, in, in certain ways, changed my mind in certain ways on these areas. I, thankfully, from Scripture and looking at uh, being, uh, I'm actually just a general history geek. Uh, I actually wanted to be a history teacher um, until... I was actually debating, should I go to, go to school uh, to become a history teacher? Uh, but the Lord uh, led me to Bible college where I went for uh, ministry. Anyways, but now I get the best of both worlds. I get church history, my bag, you know what I mean? So scripture and, and looking at the witness of church history uh, has been very helpful in these areas. I'd recommend it. So with that being said, some of these verses... Now look at this, all right? This isn't Jordan. This isn't some, as I heard it said once, and I just always loved it, this isn't some TV preacher you don't like. This is straight out of Scripture, right? Acts 22, now look at this. This is verse 14. This is, uh, well, 13. This is Paul recounting his conversion story. Now check out the things he says here. I'm so sorry this is always an issue. Uh, when I get to the other chapter, I plan to spend most of the time in the font will be much, I think, quite a bit bigger. So it's just, I don't, it's, an, it's a hassle. Anyway, sorry it's so small. So Paul is relaying his story here. We'll pick up in verse 13. Uh, it's right in the middle of it, but anyways. Uh, standing, this is when, remember the Lord told Ananias, there's a guy named Saul, go lay hand, all that. Okay, so he came to me, Ananias, and standing over me, and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. 
And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. 15, for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you've seen and heard. Now look at this verse, verse 16. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. He already believed. Now, now, like I mentioned last week, Jordan, so what are you saying? Is it belief in Jesus or is it baptism? To which I think I would feel most comfortable saying yes. Two sides of the same coin. Because you, you read, like just again, if you just take a, a casual reading through the book of Acts, when someone believed, it was boom, baptize them. It, it wasn't, when you get around to it, feel like it, it was like, oh, they believe, well, they need to be baptized. I mean, it's quite clear. Remember also last week, Acts chapter 2, uh, might as well just put it up here quickly. The inaugural sermon, you know, of the, ch of the church. Jump down to verse 38. So, so they had just said, he's preached, and they said, okay, what do we do? It says they were pricked to the heart, what do we do? Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent. That is, obviously, change your mind. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So repent implies that they're already starting to believe because they said, what do we do? Repent, change your mind, turn from unbelief in Jesus to belief in Jesus. All right, And be baptized in the name of Jesus for the uh, forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children. See, to the Jewish mind who heard that, they would, if you would have said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of, of your sin, this is for you and your family, your household, all of you. If, if, if someone would have said, oh, but not the, not the young children or the, the, young, the babies, right? The Jewish mind would have thought, what are you talking about? Well, well no, see, see, you have to have a believer's, a believer's baptism. And they would have said, well, man, when we circumcised them, they were only eight days old. Are you out there? You see the correspondence? Because Colossians 2 and a bunch of, you don't. So, yeah. Me too. But I can't, you know, me too. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, again, so, well, we got to circumcise because that's the sign and seal of the covenant. That's the sign and token that we're always people. So, let's get with it. Oh, don't bring the infants in. You got you to have a conscious declaration of belief in Yahweh. Well, that wasn't part of the deal. It was, you're eight days old. Yeah. You were covenanted in. Now think about that. That's really grace. You're covenanted in before you're even, you know what I'm saying? Conscious of it? I don't know, you know. Um, under the old covenant system, you're covenanted. I don't know if that's a real word or not, but it is today. You're covenanted into uh, relationship, covenantal relationship with Yahweh and his people. And so I think, again, I, I just assume, and perhaps it's not uh, re as readily 
a parent or, or known or whatever. Uh, but we will develop the scriptures that, in Paul's teachings, in his letters, that correspond circumcision being type and shadow, but fulfilled in baptism, right? So, so just two verses there alone. Not even, not even reading into them. Just quoting them verbatim. What did he, what did he tell Paul or Brother Saul? Acts 22 there, what did he tell him? Why wait? Stand up and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, right? Acts 2 here we just looked at, repent and quoting, each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, we also looked last week, lest anyone fret. Again, there are two sides of the same coin. So most people do not believe um, well, I've, I've converted, I've got faith in Christ, uh, but I can be baptized in a month from now or two weeks from now or a year from now when they do it again or whatever. What if I'm on my way to the church and I get in a car wreck and die seconds before I would have been baptized? No, virtually the, most people would agree, and I certainly would say, uh, regardless of what anyone else would say, no, you're not going to go to hell. Like in a, That's not the point. So that's missing the point. The point is, it's two sides of the same coin. So, I think we've made a, a false separation where there doesn't need to be one, right? Now, that's a quick, about as quick as a, a review as I could do there, just if nothing else, because uh, people didn't you know, hear last week, for those who didn't hear last week's message. Um, let's jump over to Acts chapter um, 8 and pick up today. And part of this is, as with Holy Communion, where I felt I've been robbed over the years, having been taught, led to believe, concluded on my own, or any, any combination thereof, that it was purely symbolic. And I felt like that's robbed me of a, a richness in my relationship with the Lord and His people. Similarly, I, I would uh, submit the same here for this issue of baptism. Even Luther and Calvin, who you know, I don't look to as, uh, as with anything else, there was some good and some bad, right? In my opinion. But even Luther and Calvin, who were uh, strict and emphatic on faith alone, no works can uh, contribute to your righteousness or your salvation or anything like that. They both, uh, and we we read the quotes last week. I got a couple. Of, I got a handout up here. Um, I mean, I can print more, but I got one or two there with the quotes on it. Uh, where even Luther and Calvin, um, Luther in his catechism, Calvin in his institutes, they both addressed baptism in uh, also being salvific, playing a role in or part of, you know, the salvation experience. So, in Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 12. And this is such a wonderful, um, oh, just so wonderful here, this account. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, says, but when they, uh, there's so much more good stuff in there, but only so much time in a day. What Willy Wonka say? So little to do and so much time to do it. Never the case for a preacher. Now, verse 12, but when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, in other words, the kingdom had come, they were no longer waiting, Messiah had come, and the name of Jesus Christ, what were they doing? Being baptized. So in other words, once again, let's, let's not separate it 
let's realize that the scriptural reality, which we've been developing, and we'll see more today, right here in this verse, actually, when they believed, they were baptized, right? He began preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, men and women alike. Now, even Simon himself believed. Now, Simon uh, was, and again, we know a lot from him. He had uh, a cult following from church history. We know a lot about him and was worshipped and was considered a very powerful spiritual guru. I don't know what you'd call him exactly, but uh, he was considered quite something uh, and had a, a big following. Nonetheless, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized. Belief, baptism. Now, as we read this, I, I want to submit this. I heard Brother Hagen teaching on this one time, on these, these particular set of scriptures. And we're going to, as you're going to see here when we read this, um, Brother Hagen said, and I've, I believe others have uh, posited this as well that I've heard, that Simon was, have you ever heard this language? Uh, he was a uh, professor, but not a possessor. Uh, in other words, a false conversion, or I don't know how, however you want to put it, but that's, that's reality. I mean, perhaps some of you in this room have known people, neighbors, friends in church, whatever. Um, I, if we thought about it, perhaps all of us have, if we thought, thought about it for a minute. Um, I've even heard of preachers, actually, uh, been doing this. But people who professed a faith in Christ and then eventually realize it was a false profession. It, it, was, it wasn't a genuine heart conversion. You know, and that could be very, you could, you could just be, I, I had a guy tell me one time, a wonderful guy, not that long ago. Um, we were, it was a, a handful of us. We were at a house and uh, talking the things of the Lord and, and that kind of thing. And I had asked, we, we were, in other words, we were asking each other, talking like, well, when, when did you come to the Lord or when were you? saved or, you know, how, whatever. And we, we and one of the uh, the people there, this guy, and truly a wonderful, wonderful guy, uh, his, he said to, to us, the group, he said, well, I never felt like I needed to do that because I was, in other words, I never felt like I needed to, to like do the get born again thing because I was raised in church. Well, being raised in church is not equivalent to being born again. As many people have said, no more Going to church doesn't make you a true believer any more than being in a garage makes you a car, right? So, um, so this guy, according to some, it, it was a false profession. Now look at this, and you'll see the point here. He continued on with Philip as he observed the signs, wonders, the miracles taking place, and he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, which would have been a huge deal with all the racial uh, tension there and religious tension. They sent Peter and John. Now notice this. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they were already, in other words, it's talking about the general multitude who did believe. So they already believed in Jesus and they were baptized. 
but they still needed to, quote, receive the Holy Spirit. As, as it's been said, in the new birth, we are born of the Spirit, but there is clearly from Scripture a second and subsequent experience that we often call the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So these people were born again, and then they come down and prayed for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, as opposed to, that is, in the Spirit. They hadn't been baptized in the Spirit yet. It says, Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse, or this portion of Scripture, I guess, really gives us a lot of insights. One, is, one of which is you can't buy the blessings of God. Give this authority to me. It says he offered them money. Give this authority to me so I can lay hands on people. They receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. So you can't buy the blessings of God. And... You might watch much Christian television at any point over the years. I've seen a lot of this. Sow a seed for your healing. Sow a seed for your prosperity. Sow a seed for your loved ones to come to Jesus. But Peter was rather clear here, I would think. Quote, because, may it perish with you because you thought wrongly you could obtain the gift of God with money. Rather clear. Then he says, you have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent, change your mind, change your heart of this wickedness of yours, and pray, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Now again, we know, as this is early in the development of the church, very early, we know, as time went on, see, Peter didn't even know yet that Gentiles could be, could be saved. Because that doesn't happen until you get over in Acts chapter 10, right? And he has to have a dramatic encounter with the Lord to even begin to get that through to him. And he struggled with it because we know Paul, in Galatians 2, Paul said that he had to withstand Peter, of all people, to his very face because he too was being caught up in this false whatever teaching that you had to keep the law of Moses to be saved. So this is before all of that. So I, I, I have to, uh, I, I, in other words, I think it's safe to say that a little while later, Peter might not have said, if it's possible, to be forgiven. Because even in his own epistles, he began, like in 1 Peter chapter 1, he mentions uh, near the end of the chapter that we've been redeemed and forgiven through the precious blood of of Christ, all right? Anyways, that's just a little food for thought. He said, for I see, in other words, by the Spirit of God, this was supernatural revelation, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. False profession, false conversion. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for, uh, 
for me yourselves so that nothing you've said, this destruction may come upon me. Now, there's a whole lot in that, and I understand that, but just hitting some of those highlight points there, at the beginning of the account, what happened? Philip's preaching in Samaria. They believed and were immediately baptized. Fair enough? Now look at verse 26. Uh, we're just going to try to stay in here for the most part, I think. Acts 8, 26. So we're just skipping one verse there. It says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Get up and join his chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come, come up and sit with him. Verse 32. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He, let, he was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say, say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached... That's just beautiful. He preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now again, this is just a, a sort of passing, almost, example. What was the first thing? Can I be baptized? Do you believe? Boom, instant baptism. Same thing in, in earlier in the chapter, when the Samaritans believed. First thing, be baptized. Again, and, I, and I'm, I'm being repetitive for, for the sake of our Protestant minds. Acts chapter 2 says they were pricked to the heart and said, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, each one of you, quoting now, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now that verse growls at my lifelong theology, but I can't help that. I always try to side with Scripture as much as I know how to. It says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, and he went on his way rejoicing. So mission accomplished. And think, think about that. Think of the Lord, the supernatural power that the Lord wrought so this could come about. An angel comes and taps on his shoulder and says, hey, go this way. Also, this guy, it would seem, also this guy, one guy could be baptized. 
If it wasn't that important, then why is God dispatching angels to people and sending them and then all this, you know, he's supernaturally translated or snatched away from there. All of this incredible, miraculous power happening. Also, one guy could be baptized. Maybe it's more important than some of us have been led to believe. And I'm going to submit that it is. You out there? All right. Now, let's check out Acts chapter 10, uh, a very well-known portion of Scripture that I uh, alluded to a minute ago. Acts chapter 10. And then uh, we'll begin in verse 34. And, and this is the... We won't uh, look at the whole chapter, but early in the chapter, this is where the Lord... You know, Peter went into a trance and had a vision and um, saw... He said it was like a sheet... And the Lord let it down with all these animals on it. And he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no way, Lord. I don't know if he said no way, but more or less. He said, no way, Lord. Um, nothing unclean has ever touched my, you know, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord tells him, and I think it's so beautiful. He says, don't call unclean what I have sanctified or cleansed. And he was talking about Gentiles. And he was talking about thus far unbelieving Gentiles. Huh. They didn't even believe yet because the messengers didn't even know the message could go out to that, that bunch yet. That bunch of swine-eating, bacon-wrapped, shrimp-loving, pork-chop, no-good, pigskin-throwing bunch of Gentiles. Huh. That's right. Where they eat everything but the oink, you know. I mean, <laughs> and every now and then one of those preacher jokes lands for somebody. That's not even a preacher joke really, but it just lands and it just warms my heart. Um, but the Lord told Peter, don't call unclean what I've cleansed. And my, it's, speaking of theology that growls at you, once upon a time, I, that would have, I didn't know what to do with the verse like that. Because how, cause, cause what I'd been taught and what I understood and what I either picked up or made up on my own, I don't know. But I thought, you know, well, if you're an unbeliever, you, you know, like, I, like I, I would have thought of myself, you know, unbeliever now that I'm a believer, looking back, I would have thought myself and anyone else in that camp, uh, you know, sorry, pathetic, lower than worm dirt, no good, bunch of nothing, sinner, god-awful wretches. You know, something along those lines. And, but the Lord says they're clean. That's just baffling, man. That is, and that destroys so much bad theology. I heard uh, Peter Youngren, a wonderful, wonderful minister out of, out of Canada, talking about um, uh, the way we Christians kind of, more or less talking about the way we judge people. And there is a good judgment. There, there are admonitions in Scripture to look at fruit and, and judge that. We understand that, of course, duh. But there's also that dynamic of all people, whether they know it or not, are created in the image and likeness of a of an eternal triune God who 
far from thinking of them as, as no good, rotten wretches like John Calvin described humanity as. He saw us as worth dying for, quite literally, in other words. Calvin said a newborn baby is worth nothing but being cast into eternal hell. That's, can you imagine that? I think when London was born and when Haven was born, I don't, I hope and I can't imagine that any such wretched thought crossed my mind. But yeah, you can find Calvin's quotes on that. He said, how could a newborn child, an infant, be worthy of anything but judgment, wrath, and eternal hell? That's sick, man. I think that's far from, how do you, that doesn't really, uh, that doesn't uh, mesh with a, what, what the, all the church should have as a pro-life message. Very incompatible, those understandings. And Jesus said, you know, and again, I, this, boy, this stuff used, like, far from how I used to see it, you know. And that's repentance, going from error to truth. Um, but Jesus said, let the little ones come to me. He said, because such is the kingdom. This is what heaven's like. He didn't say these bunch of no good things. Man, I'm, I'm just itching to thrust them into hell because they're so wretched. Gosh, that's sick. Good old Calvinism. Gosh, help us, Jesus. Verse 34. Peter here, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. So in the context, what's he talking about? Jews versus, if you will, in their mindset, versus Gentiles, right? And so God gives him this extravagant vision, this trance, this encounter. And again, I think it's so beautiful because think with me here. He says, Jesus talking to Peter, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. So think about that. John 1, 29, don't turn there. What, what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? We already mentioned it earlier. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not the, just the Jewish people, not just believers and the church, the world. So, what's, so our message is to go let them know You've been forgiven by a God who loves you. Receive the free gift. Not repent, you bunch of scoundrels, and get right with God, you bunch of no good for nothings. That's not the message we should be preaching. It's all too often the one we have preached and or heard. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, another great verse, verse 19. says, God was in Christ reconciling the world. Cosmos in Greek, all, of, all people and all of creation, unto himself. And then how, how did he do that? Next part of the verse, not imputing. Uh, that word imputing is just, it's a, like an accounting word. It means to just a ledger, to add up. Not imputing, adding up and counting against. their sins against them. So God is not imputing the world's sins against them. How could he when he's already taken them away 2,000 years ago, Right? So, well, God's going to judge sin. Yes, He already did. He judged it at the cross and condemned sin. Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation to us because Jesus condemned sin. That which condemned us, He condemned 
in his own flesh, Romans chapter 8 tells us. And uh, uh, here's another great verse. Let me just uh, read this. You can write this down. 1 John 2, check this out. Uh, we're staying in Acts, but I just want to throw this out there. 1 John 2. Anyone in here uh, have a message Bible on hand, translation? No, I can pull it up. Uh, for, it's I don't use it that often. It's a paraphrased translation, but it, it, it has a good uh, way of putting these verses here. But I'm going to read 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And, or but, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then he says this in verse 2. And he himself, see, think about that. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Then he says this, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Ah, that beautiful. Look, look, look if, you're, if you're there, look, and I'm sorry, it's not up here. Look at verse 12. He says this. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. That is so far from, from coming to church and being reminded of how sinful and awful and dirty you are, supposedly. He says, I'm reminding you that your sins have been forgiven. Now, let me read this in the message translation, just uh, the first part, verses 1 and 2. So good. Check this out. Uh, message translation, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He says, I write this, dear children, to guide you out of sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a priest friend in the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ, righteous Jesus. Then he says this, when he served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good. Not ours only, not only ours, but the whole world's. But I, I love that. He solved the sin problem for good. Ah, oh, my goodness. And I think like, why did I not get that memo? You know, because I've been, un I've been given to understand Christianity is essentially a sin management program. Instead of the reality, living in the reality where sin has been taken away. It's an identity crisis. It, it's Sorry, Sherry, I keep meaning to bring a ladder up here to fix that, and I keep not doing it, so I'll get there. Procrastinators, unite. Why do today what could be put off till tomorrow? Actually, I don't know if we have a ladder. I keep meaning, yeah, or later. Uh, Kara, I think, said she's not sure that we do have one, so we might have to get one from the building, but we'll get it. All right. Um, jumping back here, though, to the book of Acts. Babe, do we need... Yeah, maybe we can just buy one for the church, you know? We just need to throw that cord up through the, the ceiling stuff there, you know? All right, uh, back to Acts, and I am now officially in my first closing. Acts chapter 10. 
So I, let me just, I hope this is okay. And again, this stuff is so contrary to my understanding, but I just regularly do the best I can with the light that I have to submit my knee, to bow my knee to thus saith the Lord. I, I just do my best with that. And as a preacher, I've just, as a minister of the gospel, I've ever resolved in my heart, as best I know how to, uh, to, you know, just be honest. We're all human. And I don't have any, any qualms. I don't have any sense of, well, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to have all the answers. And I can't, you know, forget that, man. I'm so messed up. I need a Savior too. Get it. Get it, Ken. You get, ah, get it. Got it. it was, well, oh, okay. I was going to say a fuzz devil. But maybe it was an angel. Well, that's better. Um. And for me, when I look at all these verses, it's just hard. It's just like the those redneck comedians. Here's your sign. You know, it's like, how many of these do we have to look at? For me, I'm talking before I be like, you know, my lightning quick mind is starting to catch on to something here. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. Uh, oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, verse 35. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Amen. To the word uh, which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace, not anger, preaching, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all, verse 37. Now this is the first time these Gentiles, these swine-eating Gentiles, have heard this, right? Because the disciples thought it was just for Israel. But thank God the Lord turned that around. Now, he says, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed, verse 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. By the way, he's also anointed you and I with the Holy Spirit and with power. Hallelujah. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God did, did not oppress and does not oppress anyone with sickness and disease. Think about that. If Jesus went along healing everyone, and He's God in the flesh, and He's the Son of God in His humanity, if He's going along and healing everybody, that if, you know, supposedly if God made them sick, then it's like God's fighting God. you got Jesus sitting here healing people that Abba's making sick. In, in his, well, that, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Not so much. All who were oppressed by the devil, Jesus said in John 10 that it is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come that you might have abundant life. Right? So that's just real simple there. Then he says this, for we are witnesses of the things which he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. 
Verse 40, God raised him up the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, those of us who ate and drank with him um, after he arose from the dead. 42. It says, and he, now notice, notice here what's about to happen. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. This, this next verse is so beautiful. Of him, all the prophets bear witness through his name, that, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, notice I mentioned earlier in the book of Acts, Forgiveness is presented as a, a, you know, a package deal. If you've got it, you've got it. So you've been forgiven. It's, we want to keep that in our minds. We're not the, hopefully being good enough to be continually forgiven more and more. We are the, the I don't know, it's bad English. We are the been forgiven folk. You know what I'm saying? Been there. Forgiveness. Been there, done that. You know, hashtag. Forgiven. Yeah, that's right. All right. Of him bear prof, uh, all the prophets. So think about that. You, you see all the prophets. So when I read Obadiah, when I read Habakkuk, Jesus is in there. Ooh, isn't that beautiful? Because in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus preached and gave him some heavenly heartburn, it says that he took Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, and explained, taught to them, himself in those verses. Jose, I mean, look for Jesus in those things, you know, and that's how you find, that's how the, the Old Testament verses, scriptures particularly come alive to you when you see Jesus in them, you know. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. While Peter was speaking these words, what words? Forgiveness. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. That word fell upon is the same exact Greek word as when the prodigal, when he comes back home, smelling like muck, mire, and pigsty, and whatever else, good old sinful living, says that the father, uh, different you know, translations, but the father hugged him. It's the same word, he hugged him. This is a Holy Spirit, heavenly hug, right here. Fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Now, now notice what's about to happen, though. And the circumcised believers who came with Peter, the Jewish believers, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do they know they were filled with the Spirit? For they heard them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. So again, like in Acts chapter 8, we looked last week at Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 2, every, this clear emphasis. Oh, you believe? Let's get you baptized. All right? For they received the Holy Spirit as we did, and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, then they asked him to stay on for uh, a few days there. So, I think I'm pretty well finished here, but um, hopefully, and, and it's hard when... I, when you're developing something like this, it can be difficult if you've not heard all the messages. 
I, by that I mean last week as well as this week. Um, one, you know what? Here, a good thing you could do if you're in, if you are interested is use whatever Bible, you know, website or software or app or whatever you've got that you use like that, and just type in, you know, do a search for the word, you know, baptized, and maybe baptism, and just in the Book of Acts alone, look at the connection all the time: belief, baptism, receive forgiveness, and again. As we mentioned last week, this week, I'm submitting their two sides of the same coin. I think we've made, whoever we are, myself, I guess, I'll, I don't know who the rest of us would be in that list, but some proverbial we out there have made this separation. You know, and I'm showing, I believe, or, or at least seeing from Scripture, that that's a false dichotomy. It's a false separation that doesn't need to be made, right? And so... I know lots of questions come up along the way, stuff like uh, some uh, baptizing children and that type of thing. Um, that's a question uh, in a lot of people's minds. Uh, I threw out a few little things on that, but we'll try to develop it going forward. Um, I, I think I've adequately addressed, at least in passing, that no one here is saying Oh, well, if you're not baptized, you're not saved and you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, when I look at Scripture, what I do see is believe and be baptized. Not just one or the other or, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's that both. So I think that's, um, if it's truth, then it's important and it's helpful. And, and I think that's, we're, we're on the track of truth here. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.